When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mystery and thriller lovers, this one's for you. We're giving away the 10 best mysteries and thrillers of the year so far to one lucky Book Riot reader or podcast listener. The prize pack includes Miracle Creek by Angie Kim, The Lost Man by Jane Harper, American Spy by Lauren Wilkinson, and more. Just go to bookriot.com slash bestmysteries to enter to win, and don't forget to leave your lights on. Hello and welcome back to When in Romance, our favorite place to talk about romance and hopefully one of your favorite places to participate in the conversation, I guess. Um, I am Jess. And I am Trisha. I like to participate in the conversation by being also on the podcast. <laughs> I sure hope so. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And we are recording, it's, boy, Jess, it is legitimately fall. We are recording on September 19th. Um, I don't know if you guys have fall in Tucson. I, I don't know, if, is that a thing for you? Um, it, mm, sort of. <laughs> like, now the weather has started to drop so much that it's not like you want to die every time you go outdoors. But we don't have, like, that good old East Coast trees are changing kind of fall that... And, you know, it's windy. That's kind of what's happening. It stopped raining. It's less humid. It's less hot. And it's windy. Eventually, it'll be lower than 90 degrees, but that'll be in, like, November. That's real fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what you're saying is that you guys have fall. You just sort of skip winter. If, whether When the rest of us are having winter, you guys are having fall. Yeah. It's about right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we are. I'm excited to uh, kick off my first fall episode here with you. Um, and we have uh, just a, a couple of quick follow up things. Um, we mentioned in our last episode that there had been some frustration, controversy, etc. around um, the scholarship that Nalini Singh had um, donated for someone to participate in the Romance Writers of New Zealand conference, not because of anything that she did just because of some foolish and frustrating and unprofessional thing that a writer did. You can listen to that episode. Uh, and we got a, a quick clarification or just kind of some additional information that the um, scholarship and the fund that Nalini Singh has been advocating for people to maybe consider supporting if they are uh, looking for a place to, to throw some support is the Sandra Hyde Memorial Scholarship. So um, Sandra was a Harlequin Desire writer under the name Sandra Hyatt. Unfortunately, she passed away. And so the trust uh, has provided a scholarship each year to send a an aspiring writer from New Zealand to the Romance Writers Conference of New Zealand. So we just wanted to, we did link it in the, in the show notes in the last episode, but we wanted you to have um, that full information. And, you know, I think my understanding, Jess, is that these scholarships can actually make a really big difference for folks who would like to be a part of the writing community and just cannot afford to participate. Oh, absolutely. I mean, could you imagine just like 
thinking that you are going to be in your solitary life with writing and maybe your day job and your only communication with other writers is online and you apply for the scholarship and all of a sudden you get to spend days working on your craft and talking to other people um, that you might not have been able to otherwise because, you know, there are the big names who get the big bucks. I mean, if you're Nora Roberts, you can own a town, but. <laughs> and do. <laughs> and do. Um, but a, a lot of people are just on the daily grind and that extra amount of money to help them get there and pay for registration and maybe take care of some odds and ends if there's anything left over is life changing. Yeah. So anyway, um, thanks to the folks uh, at that foundation who were reached out to us to offer us just a little bit more information. Um, again, it will be linked in the show notes if you are interested in supporting it. Um, and our other follow-up is going to take a little bit longer just because I have a lot of feelings about it. Uh, so in the meantime, <laughs> maybe I will uh, hand it over to you just to do another ad spot. Yeah, let's do that. Um, get, get that one out of the way. Thanks to, to, uh, Libro FM for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers, and some of the hottest fall audiobook releases, like The Testaments by Margaret Atwood, The Starless Sea by Aaron Morgenstern, Children of Virtue and Vengeance by Samayati Adeyemi, uh, and Over the Top by Queer Eyes Jonathan Van Ness. With Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, you know the name, but you'll p- be part of a much different story, one that supports community. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from the people who know audiobooks best, local booksellers. Listeners of When in Romance can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code BR3. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I actually joined, uh, I became a member or a subscriber to Libro FM as a result of one of these spots that we did, um, I don't know, maybe like three or four months ago. And I just yesterday downloaded my newest Libro FM audiobook, which is Killers of the Flower Moon by David Gran, which Ooh. I'm pretty excited about. So if anybody wants to know how that goes, feel free to let me know and I'll, I'll, I'll report back. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm grateful to have my Libro FM uh, subscription as I am traveling. So it's been great. Awesome. All right. So the other follow-up piece that I had that Jess has uh, agreed to indulge me in is we <laughs> talked, I think, uh, two episodes ago, maybe, about um, Barnes & Noble reporting an increase in romance sales uh, and how neither you or I were particularly surprised by that. But I had the opportunity to visit a Barnes & Noble. And uh, for those keeping track at home, it was the Barnes & Noble in Bellingham, Washington, maybe one of the furthest Barnes & Nobles north in the contiguous U.S. I don't know. I just made that up. So it's right just south of the Canadian border. So it's it's a theory I have. Anyway, that does theory. not matter here. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a hypothesis, whatever. It's, but at any rate, it's um, uh, that's not what matters here. What matters is that I mostly wanted to go there because I was interested in whether Barnes Noble is sort of displaying their romance in a way that seemed different to me, having mm-hmm. shopped at Barnes Nobles before. And in my opinion, my humble opinion, I would say that there is some noticeable differences in the way that Barnes Noble for sure is displaying romance than other bookstores often are, but I think even more so than Barnes & Noble has traditionally. So for example, to start with, they have a huge romance section. They have like 12 cases of six shelves or so that are all three or four feet long. So there are hundreds of books in their romance section, um, maybe thousands. I don't know exactly how the count of books goes, but there's a lot of them. There are plenty. There's one for any romance reader. Um, It's almost as big as their mystery thriller section, which was, I found very gratifying. Uh, But even within the romance section, the way that they have displayed a lot of these books, so like The Kiss Quotient and The Bride Test by Helen Wong, um, Red, White, and Royal Blue that we've talked about, Fumbled, uh, the latest Nalini Singh title, Rebel by Beverly Jenkins, all these books are uh, cover out. So mm-hmm. if you notice, some of those are trade paperbacks, but like Rebel is not. The uh, Wallflower Wager, which is the newest Tessa Dare book, was also cover out. So they are, they're not trying to hide anything, you know, related to their romance section, which I think is cool. And even, it's even more obvious outside of their romance section, because they've got um, Well Met, which is a new book out by Jen DeLuca, um, is in their new and paperback section, as is a title by Jill Chalvez. They have a contemporary fiction buy one, get one half off section that has uh, Pride, Prejudice and Other Flavors by Sonali Dev. It's got um, a Jude Devereaux title. It's got a couple of E.L. James titles. Uh, So they're kind of just integrating the romance into their fiction sections. They have um, a whole, there's a half a dozen titles that we've talked about. The Right Swipe is in there. The Bride Test is in there that are, if you liked The Wedding Date by Jasmine Guillory, you might try these other titles. Also on a table in the front of Barnes & Noble. It mm-hmm. just They're just making it so much easier for readers, not only to just find romance, but kind of to come across it. And I think... That makes a huge difference. I think these are big, beautiful covers that have, you know, a variety of different um, colors and shapes and character features. And some of them are illustrated and some of them are not. And it's it just seemed like Barnes & Noble is very proudly displaying their romance titles. And I think that's probably a big part of the reason why they're selling more of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I would support that theory. I, I haven't been in a Barnes & Noble in a while. I'm trying to remember the last time I went to one. Uh, no, there is one less than a mile away from my house. Um, but I, <laughs> I avoid it because if I go in there, who knows what will happen. So yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so, and you know, I try to throw my money at the local indies and, and that kind of thing, you know, make sure that they're, that I'm, I'm, I'm helping them to keep their doors open, even though they don't need my help. But, you know, I like to feel good about that. Um, yeah. But, you know, I should also visit Barnes & Noble because I would also like to help them keep their doors open. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> More than one thing can be true. Yeah. Um, but I've seen, I've seen photos of, you know, 
current displays. Um, I think Alicia Rye was one of the people who was like, Hey, look, my book's on a table. When does that happen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you know, I can, I can pull up memory of my many, many visits that I made to Barnes and Noble before I put myself on moratorium. Much more so a couple years ago when I had a, um, spouse who, had an employee discount, but that's another uh, story for another sure. day. <laughs> yeah. Well, and speaking of um, sort of employment, I don't know <laughs> if you have any perspective on this as a librarian just, but is there any, do you have any sense for whether the way that you all display books at the library impacts the likelihood of people picking them up? Oh, absolutely. Um the for certain people the displays are going to be the first thing they go for or the first thing they see on their way into the library and like i feel like in libraries there are two kinds of of uh book people. There are the people who go straight to the hold shelf, pick up their book and leave, well after they check it out because that they want their holds and they want to leave with their holds. And they're the people who wander in wondering what they're going to check out. And those are the people who will grab something off of the display shelves. Um, I, I work in the main library building for my system. So there are like six to eight display shelves right in the middle of the front lobby. And I, I watch daily as they sort of get depleted and have to be refreshed because people just, that's the first thing they see and they're right next to the self checkout. So and it's it's easier to find things there if you're not sure what you want than to wander up and down the aisles of the stacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and that's, I tend to be very much of a browsing shopper. I rarely, I actually walked into that Barnes & Noble not knowing what I was going to buy. And mm-hmm. in the end, uh, I bought the new uh, Ilona Andrews book, uh, as one does, uh, which I've been waiting <laughs> for. Um, which actually, and this is kind of interesting too, they were running a promotion at that Barnes & Noble. I'm going to do a little research and see if it's all of them, uh, wherein if you bought any romance title, you got a different uh, title of a free romance book. And they were all the same book. And I have to take a quick look now because I can't remember the title of the book, but it was it's a inspirational romantic suspense. So for those who have not maybe listen to every episode of this podcast or are a little bit less familiar with the genre, inspirational is generally um, referring to some sort of religious and generally Christian themed book. So this one was called Primary Suspect by Laura Scott. And it full on says both on the spine and the cover of the book, enjoy this free gift. So this is clearly a thing that they're doing. I don't know. I have some questions about that. I'm not exactly sure how it came about. If I figure it out, I'll let you all know. But in the meantime, uh, anybody who got any kind of, you know, book got to have this, any, sorry, any kind of romance book got to have a free copy of Primary Suspect by Laura Scott, an inspirational romance that starts with a verse from Psalms. So there's that. Well, now I have to go into Barnes & Noble to see if that is also a Tucson thing. Yeah. Well, and that's, I think I told you, um, over Slack, I'm, so I'm driving like 3000 miles next week and I kind of want to see where there's a Barnes and Noble on I-90 and like pop in and see if this is a thing they're doing there. But it would be even better and easier if all of you who happen to wander <laughs> into a Barnes and Noble would mind <laughs> taking a peek and letting us know if, uh, free romantic suspense books and this specific title are a thing that is happening nationwide. So I don't know. I guess keep us posted. Absolutely. Keep us posted. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, and just generally, if you have thoughts on the way that your Barnes & Noble or your library or your uh, local bookstore are displaying romance or talking about romance, we'd be super interested in that too. A lot of, I know that we have um, a fair number of folks who listen who are librarians, and I've seen some really incredible uh, library displays of romance and um, romance, again, integrated in different displays in different places. So mm-hmm. I don't know, I think it probably makes a difference. And I think it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And well, the interesting thing about, um, I'm just going to go on one little, one little thing. Um, by all means, the interesting thing about comparison between libraries and Barnes and Noble, although Barnes and Noble does allow for it in, in one or two places is the curation because they're like, there are some leeway that Barnes and Noble has for what they put on like their aisle tables and up front and all of that. But there's also the fact that publishers pay for that space and like, I'm glad that they are putting money into having romance on the, on those tables and on the end caps and all of that kind of thing, because they know that they will make them money. Um, but there's, there's some, some curation loss that you get in library displays, but that's what's great about the staff picks display at any uh, bookstore. And I'm pretty sure that it's a regular feature of most Barnes and Nobles, at least the two in this area um, have them. And uh, that's where you'll actually see if anyone in your store reads romance. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and that's, that's always nice to see. Um, like I said, I haven't been in mine in a while. And I know that Barnes and Noble staff aren't particularly lifers all the time. Um, but it, it would be nice to also drop in and see what their staff pick shelf looks like. Absolutely. And I think uh, your point is an important one, too, that uh, it is worth noting. It's one of these sort of worst kept secrets in the book industry <laughs> that a lot of the slots that are taken up in end caps and some of those front tables are I is purchased an unfair way to say. I mean, it's, <laughs> like you said, publishers pay money to have some of their books highlighted in that way. So uh, that is an important point as well. Um, but yeah, didn't you guys all take a look at your bookstores and report back. Let us know. <laughs> and if any other bookstore is offering a free copy of Primary Suspect by Laura Scott, you let me know that too. I don't know. This is a real mystery. Hopefully we'll have some more information before two weeks from now. Absolutely. All right. So before we get into our book club discussion, which I am very excited about, um, and I know you are too, Jess, I will do another ad spot and uh, just to keep everybody in suspense for a little bit longer. Uh, so this podcast is also sponsored by Frankly in Love by Dan- David Yoon. Two friends, one fake dating scheme. What could possibly go wrong? I don't know, Jess, what could ever go wrong in any fake dating scheme? Uh, Frank Lee has two names. There's Frank Lee, his American name. Then there's Sung Min Lee, his Korean name. No one uses his Korean name, not even his parents. Frank barely speaks any Korean. He was born and raised in Southern California. Even so, his parents still expect him to end up with a nice Korean girl, which is a problem since Frank is finally dating the girl of his dreams. Brit means. Brit, who is funny and nerdy just like him. Brit, who makes him laugh like no one else. Brit, who is white. As Frank falls in love for the first time, he's forced to confront the fact that while his parents sacrificed everything to raise him in the land of opportunity, their traditional expectations don't leave a lot of room for him to be an American teen. Desperate to be with Brit without his parents finding out, Frank turns to family friend Joy Song, who is in a similar bind. Together, they come up with a plan to help each other and keep their parents off their backs. 
Frank thinks he's found the solution to all of his problems, but when life throws him a curveball, he's left wondering whether he ever really knew anything about love or himself at all. In this moving debut novel featuring striking blue stained edges and beautiful original end paper art by the author, David Yoon takes on the un- for the question of who am I with a result that is humorous, heartfelt, and ultimately unforgettable. This sounds absolutely delightful. The link uh, will be in the show notes. And this is a, apparently a fantastic audiobook. Um, specifically, we're kind of pointing people toward the audiobook because it is uh, wonderful. And so <laughs> feel free to ch- click through the link and find um, the audio in Penguin Random House Audio. We will have it ready for you. Uh, or just uh, search for Frankly in Love by David Yoon wherever you get your audiobooks. Very nice. Very nice. I have um, a copy of that somewhere, not an audio, sadly. And I keep avoiding it because I'm afraid that it's not going to fall under the auspices of everyone's favorite parabolic storyline, which is, and they all lived happily ever after. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. But, you know, I, I have heard a um, many a good thing about it. So I might, I might wander over. Yeah, I'm not a big um, YA person necessarily. But this is uh, described as being perfect for friends, uh, fans of John Green, Nicola Yoon and Rainbow Rowell. Um, and I like all of those authors. <laughs> so so I'm in as well. Now, now I've, I have to wait a month for my next Libro FM uh, <laughs> audio credit to come up, but then I'll be all set. <laughs> nice. There you go. All right. At long last, Jess, it's time. It's time for us to discuss the Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics for the Great Big Romance Read. It is indeed time. Dun, da, da, da. I, I have all sorts of thoughts. I was thinking about this book all day in preparation, which, you know, actually was not that hard because I've been thinking about it a fair amount since I finished it last week. So uh, yeah, makes sense. Mm-hmm. I did not get to sit down and do a complete revisit, but I was able to hop back in to to have a look at some of my my uh favorite bits excellent uh so do you want to do a quick summary or would you want me to why don't you go for it just because you've read it more recently (laughs) all right i'm ready i think i think i can do it feel free to jump in or correct me where i'm wrong um so the lady's guide to celestial mechanics by olivia Waite uh is a book in which uh so we start with our our two protagonists there's lucy um who she has a father who was an astronomer and who has passed away so lucy had actually been working very closely with him and doing a lot of the computation and the work um behind uh his astronomy and behind the kinds of you know minor discoveries and translations that he was doing um but now that he has passed away she doesn't have the same avenue to use for her you know, uh, brilliance in quite that way. <laughs> she also has an older brother who, frankly, given that this is an historical romance, has all of the power. Uh, and so he's threatening to sell her telescope. She's trying to figure out what to do. She also, the book opens in this really lovely scene where she sees uh, the woman who has been her partner um, for the last several years getting married. And Lucy's really just sort of heartbroken over it. So she's just kind of out of sorts in many ways. Enter, uh, Lady Catherine Moth, who is a, um, has, was the wife of a also deceased, uh, scientist, explorer, a kind of astronomer, sort of like a scientist of all, of all types, um, who has died and who, uh, Catherine and Lucy, without knowing it, 
well, Catherine didn't know that Lucy was corresponding with her, but she had been. Um, and Catherine uh, is part of a group that is looking to translate um, a very famous or brand new and famous uh, French work of astronomy into English. Um, and so Lucy wants to do it. So she goes, she tracks down Catherine and she says, I want to do this translation. And Catherine's like, well... Uh, I don't think that's going to work. The Polite Science Society, which is the actual name of the society that is undertaking this, is not very big on women scientists. They are not probably going to accept you, but let's give it a try. They give it a try. Unsurprisingly, it doesn't work out. So Lucy decides to just, with Catherine's support, just do it anyway. So she does. And over the course of time, you know, shenanigans ensue and the two of them start to <laughs> fall for one another. Um, and so that's the, that's the kind of, I don't know, that's, I feel like the general baseline. Is that, yeah. am I missing any major plot points? That's, uh, that's a, a good setup. And I think you've caught all of the, the key points, um, about their background and their current situation and their current relationship with men. Uh, <laughs> Mm-hmm. and yeah. all, of, all of that good stuff. Yeah. Excellent. Um, well, anyway, I'm sure more pieces of it will come out as we go. But let me ask you, Jess, I know that you liked this book. I did. What specifically about it did you like? Oh, gosh. Well, first, there's the whole um, a different kind of badass woman than we have been exposed to on a regular basis there. I have read a few books with um, women scientists or women who are trying to get their foot in the door. Um, but this one was really grounded in that whole, I am capable and I am going to do this kind of uh, mood. And so that was, that was what drew me to it and what kept me there and what I really co- keep coming back to is Olivia Waite's writing. Like, I know we talked last time about me and writing and authors whose, whose writing is more, is almost more compelling than their story, even though I am a very story plot driven person. Um, so the combination of the two is what I think really sold it for me. There's this whole world building that you know, people don't think of world building as something that you do in a book set on Earth, but you still have to do it no matter um, what kind of universe you're writing in. And this world is one that's complete and one where you see all all kinds of elements of humanity. Um, and Olivia Waite didn't shy away from bringing those elements in, even the bad part, and also writing about other people that we don't often see in books set in this particular time period. Yeah, I think the world building point that you made is I uh, 100% agree with. And it was just the little touches in a lot of ways for me that that made that so effective. There's a, a scene, the first scene with the whole polite science society, um, which is a memorable, a memorable scene for a number of reasons. But at one point, uh, Mr. Holly, who is a character who is kind of the lead for the science society um, asks Aunt Kelmarsh, who is the aunt, sort of unofficial aunt of of Catherine, uh, if she wouldn't mind just taking some notes. And it's that kind of, and she sort of, you know, her mouth gets really tight, but she says, oh, yes, of course, I'd be happy to, <laughs> even though she's this brilliant woman in her in her own right. 
she is sort of set aside and just asked to be the note taker in this meeting. And that's it's just that kind of reminder that, first of all, that that is sort of the only place that a woman of her intelligence and creative talent could be in this society. But also it strikes a chord, I think, with a lot of us, um, a lot of, you know, women or, um, you know, gender non-binary folks, anyone, frankly, who is not a heterosexual cis white male Mm -hmm. uh, has had of kind of just having something that is theoretically could just be a simple request, but you know that it's not. Mm -hmm. Um, And you get very much put in that world of women being second class citizens. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's as the story progresses, and we see the varied interactions that um, both Lucy and Catherine have with other men in their lives with more members of the society, that you can see that she's not just saying, this is how it was. She's saying, this is how a certain group of people were. But look at look at what other people could bring themselves to be. It's sort of the same kind of conversation we've had about um, historical romances and race, right? Where, um, well, everyone was racist. So that's just how it was. It's like, well, obviously not everyone was. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's like, just because it was an institutional element of society doesn't mean that every individual person believed that that was the right way to go about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or this idea that, uh, of course, there were no people of color in England during Victorian or Regency times, right? Like, that's just not true, right? Like, we just know that's not true. So yeah, I think you're right, too, that I actually really enjoyed the supporting characters in general, like I thought, um, Mr. Frampton, William Frampton, uh, who is, uh, they mentioned his dark skin. I can't remember if they ever say explicitly that he was black. I, that was how I sort of pictured him in my mind, but I don't know that for sure. I think I did too. Yeah. And so I, I think, uh, he's a great character because he's super supportive and wonderful. And at one point you think maybe he's turned on Lucy, but then, you find out that, in fact, he has not. Uh, and <laughs> like, he's a really wonderful character. Aunt Kalmarsh, who I mentioned, is also a really fantastic character. I actually thought Mr. Holly was not a likable character, but was actually a very well-written character in that um, he's, I mean, gosh, just so many of us know that guy who is like, <laughs> oh, man, if it were up to me, I would totally want you to be a part of this society. But unfortunately, it's not. And then... Then he calls and asks uh, Lucy for help as soon as he needs it, pretending like he would have loved to have actually had her help and support the whole time. And like, he's just, ugh, he just sucks. Um, yeah. <laughs> in that same, fr- but like, he sucks in a way that like is sort of nuanced and interesting as opposed to. Yeah, he's not that one dimensional kind of villain guy. Exactly. Yeah, that's a. Look, see how how eloquent you are. Um, but yeah, there's like even in the first meeting, he's describing, oh, oh, well, if we're going to ask you to do this work, we have to, you know, list off these four different things. We have to start with assumptions about, first of all, uh, whether women are capable of astronomy. Secondly, whether they would offer any particular benefit to astronomy. Third, whether astronomy would be any use to women. And fourth, whether it would harm the needs of mankind to encourage women to put their efforts toward the sciences rather than the continuation of the species. And that, I think for me, is like that kind of writing is just both 
uh, an example of how talented Olivia Waite is and also just how interesting her characters are. Absolutely. And the wild thing about that little bit is that th- there were actually conversations about things like that in real life. People thought that being smart was detrimental to the household. Like, yeah. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> and that it was the more common perception. Like, I think there are probably still people who think that. Mm hmm. But they don't email us and say it, so they know better than that. We're ever so grateful. Indeed. I will say I did feel like this book to me seemed like it was more of a character-driven kind of a book. There are Mm -hmm. a few scenes that stand out in my mind that drive the plot, but otherwise it felt to me like the book was very focused on characters and relationships. Was that your sense? I I can totally see that. Yeah, there's like key points that are sort of like drops in the in the flow mm-hmm. but that but then the ever increasing relationship is something that you just watch go um and the individual characters of Lucy and Catherine um especially when they encounter people that they don't particularly want to not because they're bad people but because they're people that they're not over yet mm-hmm. and that's that's mostly lucy yeah we'll, we'll just we'll say that um but you know Catherine as a character develops as a as a person and you know has her own realizations and uh, the fact that there's these two lines going but they're also intertwined um with an actual plot because as I mentioned before, I'm very much a plot-driven person, mm-hmm. um, is what makes this book so captivating. Yeah. And I I, I should I feel like we should mention, um, it is worth noting that Catherine was, like we said, her husband passed away, but that was not a happy relationship for her. And in a lot of ways, it was uh, an emotionally abusive relationship. And so mm-hmm. um, I think you're right that the develop i think for me the development of that character was maybe a little bit more interesting um just because y- you get through Olivia Waite's writing you get so much of her kind of processing and trying to or i guess coming to see the world in a different way or that it could be different than what she had mm-hmm. previously experienced um and that was really moving to me yeah absolutely um just there was this whole element of her realizing that she wasn't alone and she had felt so alone even when she was married and had friends. But there was this whole element of her not really being completely understood. Mm-hmm. And the way that that comes out, not just with Lucy, but with the other people in her life, um, is, is really, captivating i said captivating again goodness gracious um, apparently that's the word of the day <laughs> it's a captivating situation i think that's great i will say i if i had one i you know one kind of core criticism of the book which i did like very very much um but it's funny because we got an email from uh becky um who becky reads it all on instagram as her uh tag if you're interested but who had sort of a similar feeling that the pacing for her it was just that it was slow for me it was that it was a little bit odd like i remember feeling like once the book um the lady's guide to celestial mechanics which lucy has put together once it comes out 
it's sort of like it gets released and then it's a huge hit and <laughs> all of that happens within like a page like there yeah. was just kind of a it seems like it kind of things move really really slowly and then all of a sudden it's been out for like a month and it's sold like a gajillion copies or like not that many but they're sold out all across town and there wasn't i don't know like to me she'd been working on it for so long and it was such a big deal and then all of a sudden it was a hit and then we moved on to something else you know like it was just i don't know i will say i think that part of the fact that it is a more character driven book meant that the for me the pace felt a little bit odd but you know i certainly not enough to you know ruin my enjoyment of the book yeah totally um, i i i could see that because i do remember the sort of sudden jump from it's done to everyone loved it. And it sort of felt kind of like that. Uh, I don't know if you've actually read Twilight, but, uh, oh, I should no, have. not, yeah. not Twilight, New Moon. Um, oh, yeah. Uh-huh, there's a part yeah. where, where Edward leaves and then like the chapters are just like September, October, November, and not, there's nothing on the page. Suddenly you're just, you're just at the part where she wakes up again and like for some reason that's where my brain went with that it was like time passed (laughs) and now we're here Uh (laughs) yeah this came out it was a big hit lucy's brilliant blah 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 now she's gonna be fine in terms of money but let's move on to the next thing where they have a frustrating (laughs) conversation you know like yeah yeah um i also like my sort of completely minor not at all really quibble, just kind of observation, is that there is a lot of discussion about embroidery in this book, which <laughs> I think I probably noticed because that is a thing I just don't care about or really understand. <laughs> like, I would have been able to probably keep pace with some, like, minor mention of astronomy, but it felt like they didn't even talk that much about astronomy. They just talked so much about embroidery. <laughs> and I kind of didn't get those parts, but I was able to keep up. It was fine. But it's just... There's just a lot of embroidery. There, there is, and I, I have no way to explain it because I have not been in the author's head. But I would, I feel like it's probably something like talking. Well, maybe I'm digging too deep into this, but um, there's the science, which is the not really womanly thing to do, and then there's embroidery, which is like the woman's thing um don't read a little light mischief if you really really hate embroidery um or sewing of any kind it's not that i hate it i just sort of like nothing it you know what i mean like i don't even have feelings about it if you don't want to experience more embroidery in your historical uh lesbian romance got it just mm-hmm. skip Making a little right light now. mischief um there you know it is be gay do crimes 1819 but there's also a lot of sewing. Okay. All right. That's helpful. Helpful to know. Yeah. I, I mean, like I said, that's the like most minor of observation slash quibbles, but <laughs> I just, I was like, oh my God, another person who does sewing. Good Lord. Okay. <laughs> We're back to this now. Um, but you know what? It makes uh, people happy, particularly Catherine, I think. Um, so, <laughs> and I feel like we've done a pretty good job of not spoiling the book, and I don't necessarily think we need to spoil it, but I I will say there was a reveal in this that I only saw coming right before it came, and I found it very mm-hmm. rewarding. I did, too. Very rewarding. Yeah. 
any other thoughts on Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics? Um, one thing that I just wanted to throw out there about the community mm-hmm. that's in this book, um, that if you have read it, you'll know immediately. And if you haven't, you might notice more is that, um, Olivia Waite didn't shy away from having queerness be kind of a regular thing. Like, you know, sometimes you, you think like people often thought, felt isolated or didn't talk about not liking people of the opposite sex or something like that. Um, but there were, there were people that were so saturated in, uh, both women's lives mm-hmm. that, that you, you sort of felt like the, the elders or the peers looking out for you. Yeah. And I, I really enjoyed the fact that it wasn't just like, these two women who happen to like women are in this book mm-hmm. with all these other people. Yeah. Who are straight. Yeah. No, I think that's a really, I think that's a really good and interesting point. And I think it's kind of, I think that it's interesting that that is kind of the reality of the world and that it's Catherine's mm-hmm. perspective, not knowing that that community exists and is so populous, you know, like that there are so many people <laughs> that almost kind of comes across as the misunderstanding or the limited perspective, you know, like there, Catherine is unaware of it also, but then once she Mm -hmm. starts to see it and kind of feel as herself a part of it, um, that's just a really interesting journey, I think for that character as well. Um, But she's, like I said, she's the one who's in the wrong, like or or who's misunderstanding or, or unknowing who's sort of ignorant of it as opposed to having it be the other way around. Absolutely. Yeah. And you had, I, I wasn't sure who were the two characters that you were hoping end up in the next book? Well, you know, I, I didn't have two. Oh, okay. I was sort of hoping that, um, we'd get a little bit more. Is it the artist? The artist who Lucy's friends with? Yes. Yeah. I would like him and also, uh, Frampton, William Frampton. I want to know that guy's deal too. Yes, I I I hope even though we know that um they will not be the central characters of Olivia Waite's ne- next book that we maybe see more of them because William Frampton is really a favorite and not just because he's the only black guy around and also because he's inventing <laughs> computers. Like right? he's inventing computers. Like that's the punch card thing. Like I don't okay. Anyway, I don't know. I would so hopefully someone maybe somebody will write some fanfic about him or something i don't know we'll see (laughs) maybe we'll see all right anything else that we want to make sure we mention related to ladies guide i just want to throw out and i think i mentioned it last time i read when i first read this book i read a digital copy but when i had the chance i bought a print one just so i could stare lovingly at this cover yeah I'm doing it right now, actually. Oh, that's so nice. We don't have video Skype today, so I'm <laughs> glad you have someone lovely to look at. <laughs> um, that's actually, yeah, I will. I've been keeping my eyes out. I haven't found a print copy yet, but uh, I have it as well in digital. And so I'll be, I will certainly be keeping my eyes out for that. Actually, that might be a useful transition because one of the books that I'm recommending I read in digital, but we'll be watching for a hard copy of as well. Uh, but before we Ooh. move into that, I will... Any any other thoughts or, or questions about feelings about Ladies Guide? 
that's that's all the thoughts I have. Thanks to the Rare Debatis for coming up with a great big romance read and making it continue. Yeah. And we're happy to be a part of the conversation. We are delighted to be a part of the great big romance read. So yeah, my thanks as well. Um, and all of those of you who are reading or have read and have thoughts um, about the book or disagreements, what we said or felt like there wasn't enough embroidery, you let us know. <laughs> What is the right amount of embroidery <laughs> to include in a book? Um, but we really would love to hear what all of you have to say. Uh, and thanks to Becky um, for, for sending us her thoughts as well. Um, Absolutely. So, all right. So let me tell you. So we when we were talking about recommendations, I said, hey, maybe we can talk about books that we're excited about that are coming out soon because... I have one that I read and now I'm rereading because I liked it so much, even though I read it in the last month. Uh, and it's a book that oh, we wow. talked about before here on Wedded Romance. It is called The Widow of Rose House. Uh, it's by Diana Biller. Um, and we mentioned it. We heard about it, I think. Well, the first I heard about it was at, when we were at um, the Book, book Lovers Con. Con. And they were sort of saying, oh, this is going to be this big fall title. And we kept calling it The Widow of Ghost House, <laughs> which actually <laughs> also would have been an appropriate title. But The Widow of Rose House <laughs> is for reasons that you will eventually find out an even lovelier title. It's by Diana Biller. And if you remember us originally talking about this book, you will know that the publisher described this book as uh, if you the hero in particular is if you take the, the um, Chris Hemsworth character from Ghostbusters, the remake of Ghostbusters, and make him sort of like a ghost hunting engineer, then you have Sam, who is the lead for this book. And it's actually a pretty good description. <laughs> it's actually pretty oh, real. Oh, man. He's, he's a little bit sharper than, um, than that character, but he's, so he's an engineer and an inventor. He's actually invented all of this cool stuff. Uh, and I would say slash ghost hunter, but somebody calls him a ghost hunter and he says, well, not really because yeah, he bears the ghosts no ill will. Um, and so then his friend says, oh, so then you're a ghost social climber then. And he says, yes, that's much closer. Uh, he is, <laughs> he has this sort of absent-minded professor quality. Um, so he's always accidentally like blowing things up and there's just piles of paper around him everywhere. And he probably always have like pencil and pen marks all over him, but, um, he's brilliant and he actually has a really high EQ for somebody who is like that. He has a great sense for when Alva, who is the heroine of this book, is sort of in trouble or frustrated or struggling. Um, anyway, so she is this scandalous widow who bought this house and she wants to write up her renovations of it for a book project. The problem is that the house is haunted, so she needs Sam to get the ghost out of the house uh, so that <laughs> the um, construction people will come back and work on it again. The book is incredibly funny. Like Sam's family is a riot. They have, for a while, like a conversation about whether this is Alva's ghost, like whether a person can actually possess a ghost or not, like whether, <laughs> like someone says, is Sam going to get rid of your ghost? And she says, I don't have a ghost, meaning the house isn't haunted. And then the whole family, who is also a bunch of scientists and inventors and doctors and engineers, start discussing whether or not a person can have a ghost. Um, and it's just that kind of humor. There's like the internal dialogue and narration is so funny but, and this is actually a good content warning for folks who are a little bit more sensitive um, or just prefer not to read it, there is discussion of domestic abuse and the maltreatment and abuse of people who are mentally ill. All of that happens mm -hmm. off page. So you're not reading um, explicit scenes or any of those things. Um, but, you know, Alva is, um, this is maybe a minor spoiler, but I feel like it's important for people to know. She's a survivor of uh, domestic violence. And so... She has post-traumatic stress disorder from that, and 
then later on in the book, again, you find out that there's um, a person who was uh, mentally ill, who was, again, abused and treated poorly. So it shouldn't be able to be a book that has themes that are that important and that difficult, and also just be incredibly clever and funny. But just the way that the sort of dialogue and narration works, you can both, I think, hold in the same place the fact that there are mm-hmm. some tragic things that happen in this book, and also have the writing be very clever and fun and well done. So, you know, I that may not be true for anyone. So, so kind of keep that in mind as you go. But I think that uh, Biller, who I think this is her first book, I think this is a debut. I think she just does it in such a well balanced and sensitive way that. I love this book. I would absolutely recommend it to anyone, and I will eventually get it in a hard copy just so that I have a copy that I can hold and read and then probably reread again. So, <laughs> I yeah, again, like paranormal, not usually my thing, but yeah, I was very much on board. So if anybody else has read it or is going to read it, let me know what you thought because I loved it very much. And the, now that it's fall, I can read it. I was I was very excited by your excitement about it the first time you talked about it. Um, but you know me, I try to actually read things kind of close to the release date. <laughs> um, or, or maybe a couple days after, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. And that's a good question. I think it comes out the first week in October. So by the time we have another episode, maybe it'll be almost out. So I will, I will find the date and put it in the show notes. But, um, yeah, but do read, uh, The Widow of Rose House by Diana Biller. Awesome. Awesome. Um, well, I have a book that I am excited about that I have not yet read. As previously mentioned, I try to read things close to their release date. And this one's coming out at the end of this month. Um, and it is called The Right Escape, right spelled W-R-I-T-E, uh, by Cherish Reed. And I think this too is her first book. Um, it is a, a book that I could not ignore once I read the description, except to say later my pet as I pet my Kindle. Um, and that is because it not only takes place in a distant land, but both of the main characters are literature related. Um, <laughs> Uh, Antonia, who is the heroine, was a literary editor and now she's jobless and she's taking a, um, a, a solo honeymoon, a solitary vacation to Ireland to maybe, you know, be alone, look at the green and the ocean and take a rest. And she is staying in the cottage next door to a literature professor on sabbatical. Um, well, a working holiday, trying to get some work done. And they, and realize that they can both probably use some other distractions. And that's, all I'll say about that, but I'm excited to read it. <laughs> um, and I've heard a lot about it, you know, on the Twitters and all of that. And it's a Karina book, and we all know how ride or die I am for Karina Press. Um, they seem to just be finding all of the things that I want to read, all of my kind of catnip stories. Um, so I'm looking forward to 
seeing how they figure out the whole she's from Chicago, he lives in Ireland thing. Sure. I mean, <laughs> you know, rack up a lot of frequent flyer miles. You know, see how it goes. Uh, well, you're making me feel like a little bit of a jerk because the other one that I was going to talk about doesn't come out until December. But <laughs> I just finished it and I'm really excited about it. So I'm going to talk about it anyway. Um, it's called Blitzed. It is by Alexa Martin, who we talked about before. Um, her books Intercepted and Fumbled. Uh, we really enjoyed. Actually, Intercepted was our first ever book club book. Um, and I, I just really love her writing. I love the way that she writes people. Uh, so this is Bryn's story. Mm -hmm. So Bryn is the owner of Her, capital H, capital E, capital R, which is a bar that caters specifically to women. Her employees are generally women because she tries to make sure that nobody's kind of being harassed or subjected to the dude behavior that sometimes goes on. Uh, she has had a little bit of a flirtation with Maxwell, who is a defensive back for um, the football team in the book, the Denver Mustangs. And he's like super sweet and quiet and nice, but he has a thing happen and there's a little bit of an outburst and she gets sort of upset and angry with him. And then, you know, they kind of work it out. But it's it's just a really lovely. It's, it may also be kind of more of a character-driven book than a plot-driven book in some ways, but it didn't feel mm. that way to me. It's just that Alexa Martin writes characters who are in this world that is completely foreign to most of us, right? Like these, it's an NFL <laughs> team. Like how often do you hang out with an NFL team? Probably not that often. But her characters and her books just still feel completely um, relatable. You know, like one of the characters makes a trust-related probably error late in the book but you can actually understand a big part of why they do what they do and so it's kind of yeah i don't know i guess it's just that i really like the way that her characters are relatable and understandable and um also just fun and cool and like they're they just absolutely seem like the kind of people you'd want to be friends with so pre-order now and get blitzed by alexa martin again it doesn't come out till december but it will be worth the wait <laughs> Well, one that is a little, a little closer in, in your grasp, October 14th to be exact, is Lush Money by Angelina M. Lopez. And I, I remember first seeing the cover being, um, revealed and like sort of ignored it. Well, I didn't ignore it because I was like, wow, that's a great cover. But then I sort of forgot about it until it started popping up more and more and more on my radar. And then I actually read the synopsis and was like, I need this now, which uh, didn't happen because I'm me and I'm very behind. Um, but I just want to read you the bold type of the synopsis. A marriage of convenience and three nights a month. That's all the sultry, self-made billionaire wants from the impoverished prince. And at the end of the year, she'll grant him his divorce with a settlement large enough to save his beloved kingdom. That's the bold text of this book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, right? And, you know, she... It, uh, Roxanne is the heroine or the female protagonist. I'm trying to do that more. Um, and you know, she is, um, kind of lonely. It's lonely at the top. And she offers, um, Mateo, who is a principe, um, of a small kingdom that grows wine or that grows grapes for wine, you know, 
marry me and get me pregnant and then we'll get a divorce and go about our business and things go from there. And I'm really excited to see how that works. Mm -hmm. To see where things go from there, in fact. (laughs) Yes. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I well, yeah, I'm very much in on that. I oh, I love a lady billionaire. I know. There's just not nearly enough of them out there. There aren't. Like my brain immediately goes straight to Akira. Oh yeah. Um and a gentleman on the street. But like then I'm like, and who else? I know I'm sure I've read others. Well, and Alicia Rise, like and I don't know that um her lead in the uh, the right swipe was a billionaire but she was she was rich she was doing her thing so alicia rise yes, right all rich ladies good job yes yes and hopefully angelina and lopez writing even more Hmm. and that was lush money by the way if you need a reminder of the title it's the first in the filthy rich series so i'm excited for all of the filthy rich people uh, doing dirty things. <laughs> I think that's fair. And I I won't actually talk about any other um, books, but I will mention that I'm also very excited for Beard Necessities and Have Been for Many Years by Penny Reed. It's the final I'm book sure. in the Winston Brothers series. I'm also really excited for American Love Story by Adrienne Herrera, which is the final of the three. I think she's only doing three. Is that right? In her Dreamer series? There might be a fourth one. I think there's one oh, more. Oh, is there? Oh, yeah. Even better. I know. <laughs> I was going to be like wildly impressed that she wrote all three books this year or that published all three books this year, which I'm still very, very impressed about. But if she wants to add mm-hmm. more on there, that's great. So I'm keeping my eyes peeled for those two. I think there's one more. There's one more, bro, that that needs well, all right, this then. happy ending. I think I will throw out that I am excited for My Fake Rake by Eva Lee. Um, I, I heard the gospel of Eva with the courtesan book that we talked about at the beginning of this year. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but it was purple. Um, and <laughs> I'm really looking forward to these two nerds falling in love. Um, and I am also really excited for Andy J. Christopher's Not the Girl You Marry, just because I shamelessly love how to lose a guy in 10 days and will definitely take a gender swapped adaptation of that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, we might have to do another one because I'm also excited about Chloe Brown, which is not the full title of that book. Get a Life, Chloe Brown by Talia Hibbert. <laughs> Get a Life, Chloe Brown. <laughs> I left that off deliberately because I feel like people are really tired of me talking about Ty- Talia Hibbert. Oh, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's going to be, I mean, let's be honest, we know who we are. <laughs> we know who we are. We know who we so, are. So, yeah, I have a feeling that all of those books will get some discussion on the podcast over the next few months, but... Um, but they will all also be listed in the show notes in case you are interested in pre-ordering and offering your future fall self a gift. Um, <laughs> do consider it. We are excited about them. Uh, and I think let us know what you're excited about. Absolutely. We'd love to hear it. Maybe there's some things that have not yet made it onto our radar or things that we'd love to share with our excitement, with your excitement that well that i have forgotten about because exactly (laughs) so many books um let us know how the bookstores near you barnes and noble and otherwise are displaying their many books let us know your thoughts on ladies guide to celestial mechanics and yeah let us know what books you're excited about next year or not even next year god this year these books are all coming out this year this fall and winter Mm mm-hmm 
Uh, if you are trying to reach us, you can do that on the One in Romance email address, oneinromance at bookriot.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Trisha Haley Brown. You can find me on Twitter at Jess is Reading, all one word, or on Instagram at Jess underscore is underscore reading. And hopefully all of you are reading also. Let us know what, and we will talk to you soon. Absolutely. Happy reading, everybody. Bye.